Welcome to Monstrology, episode 25. Uh, I'm Will King. I'm joined by Madrin McCabe, as I often am. And um... Wait, often? When have you not? <laughs> well, uh, last uh, episode, I unfortunately was not able to join you because oh, I well. had been uh, kidnapped, uh, or as he liked to say, duped. Uh, and left in um, what I could only assume was um, the lower uh, train stations of the TTC. I mean, we did have a really nice outing where eventually he know, drove he, me around in this Ferrari and he, he left me with many he, gifts. But... Yeah, he said that he really had a very nice setup. So as far as kidnappings goes, it sounded like it was pretty cushy. Yeah, but I do have to say, Madrin, uh, my energy for this opening is just a little bit... Uh, ticked off because he did specify <laughs> that you you may have received a little extra gift in exchange for one extra day of my captivity and uh, I had stuff to do that day you know <laughs> well you know times are tough will if somebody's offering me a free gift uh, I'm I'm going to take it uh I mean is it a Ferrari? He took care of your dog didn't he did you get it? That's yeah, really well, all that matters well, you know what like yeah he did a great job with my dog and yeah, yeah he did a see? great job at my workplace and yeah he's just like been crushing my life and now <laughs> it's kind of hard to live up to it so um, So wait 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 you're saying that your doppelganger was better at living your life than you were Well I don't know if I'd use the word better <laughs> because <laughs> i don't know i'm doing my best but he's you know overly efficient let's say oh, he, he has, really nailed it huh well he has thousands of years of experience and i just have like you know my own lifespans amount sure um and uh, it just doesn't quite level up you know and i would like to be mad at him but he was just so damn charming that it was difficult <laughs> right? so I, I have to there's take there's a reason why we were all duped as well yeah i felt entirely duped and for the first couple of days you know he kind of talked me into it being a nice vacation but eventually you just want to go home and sleep in your own bed you know <laughs> anyway i know that we should get on with the episode but i just had to vent that out uh that number one listeners i'm okay my life has resumed uh, I may have been duped for a short period of time, but, um, you know, I'm back and my apartment is very clean because, um, you know, Hans. Um, yeah. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you just listen to the last episode because <laughs> it'll explain a lot. Um, Check out our doppelgangers episode. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I, yeah, take it up with the local authorities uh, as they did not want to help me. As they said, what are you talking about? Doppelgangers aren't real. And we just got into this long cyclical conversation. Anyway, we need some sort of uh, governing um, authority <laughs> over these. Uh, well, that's creatures. what the Winchesters are for. But I, that show's over. So I guess now yeah. we're on our own again. Yeah. Um, well, today uh, we are going to, we meeting you and I, not uh, Hans and you, are going to be digging into the longest-running film franchise in history, as defined by the Guinness World Records and, you know, everyone else. Uh, we're going <laughs> to be digging into this franchise, and it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites, but I can't say that I'm an authority over it because there's so many movies. There's just so many of them. Right. Um, yeah. Like it's... when I started, I started going and doing my research on it and I was like, yeah, of course, like everybody knows these movies and everybody's seen a handful of them. And then I started looking and I was like, oh, dear God, there are yeah. like, if you include 
all iterations of it, like from all different countries and the sort of thing. There are yeah. hundreds. Of yeah, movies. well, there's alternate cuts and stuff too, right? Yes. Like there's the US version or the Japanese yes. version or whatever. Um, but yeah, this this franchise is a huge deal. Um, I feel like it's inspired so many pop culture spinoffs. Uh, and I know that's not a real feature for today, but uh, there's a Pokemon based off this. Of course uh, there there's, is. There's a dinosaur called Reptar that some of you may know from uh, <laughs> yep. Rugrats <laughs> that's based off today's franchise. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously hugely influential. So I say we just jump into it. Today's franchise is the Godzilla Monsterverse. As you know, Madrin, I often like to start with the definition of things, which uh, feels like a lazy wedding speech, but I assure you. <laughs> it, it Webster's is... Dictionary defines marriage yeah. as... <laughs> well, the world uh, defines Godzilla or uh, Gojira, as it's like originally pronounced, as a combination of uh, gorilla, which is where you get the go, and Kujira, which is the Japanese word for whale, because essentially when they were starting it, they just called it Project G for giant. And they just kept like until they figured out what they wanted the monster to be. They thought about it being this kind of weird squid. Um, they were like very inspired by like the King Kong movies that were out, but they kind of settled for this um, in between of the gorilla and uh, Kujira. And that's where we get Gojira or Godzilla when we started doing the uh, U.S. edits. Um, yeah, I hadn't realized that Godzilla is actually an aquatic sea monster. Oh, yeah. Like he, 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 he it Well, maybe we can a little bit get into that as uh, as we talk about it. But um, when not battling humanity or other giant monsters, he lives in the oceans of the world <laughs> yeah. like, i didn't really and, and i didn't really realize like in my mind because he walks upright on two legs uh-huh. and has basically like hands and is quite almost almost humanoid-esque in the mm. way you know it does it, it, he fights and things like that too so in my mind i was like what do you mean he's a sea monster but yeah, yeah in researching this that um godzilla is a portmanteau of the two japanese words that mean gorilla and whale because mm-hmm. he is an, uh, an aquatic sea monster mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. oh I, when i think of whales i don't really think of godzilla that's all no but there's something about like the density i'll get into this a little bit like the density of his skin like the toughness the underwater thing basically you know i'm always talking about uh the Loch Ness monsters hidey hole and this like in between uh land where monsters come from in the original film um which i watched from 1954 um that's directed by ishiro honda they specifically say that godzilla was in a like hidden away deep sea cave um and 
I think maybe this is a good way to get into it. But so much of the context from the original Godzilla, and I think what just elevates the film from being a typical um, genre spectacle based movie is it's really this enormous um, allegory about uh, fear of uh, nuclear war and like the mm -hmm. atomic bomb and it comes out of this like post-war fear and I think an angst that people have and the destruction that it can bring um, but essentially the, the story like that's the inciting incident is they um, like are dropping bombs and the bomb has irritated Godzilla enough that he has come out from his deep sea cave to like take revenge on the people who are destroying the planet and so as I often do, even though Godzilla is very much like the antagonist of this movie, it's humans versus Godzilla. He, it, it, they even describe like he's rightful in terms of what he's doing. Like there is um, a really strong theme in this movie that isn't in some of the other ones um, that I thought was really interesting. And it even carries into his skin like they say that mm -hmm. his skin in the original film looks like it has been scarred um by like that kind of uh, uh, um, like similarly like a by an american hydrogen bomb um yeah i was reading like specifically so the survivors of the hiroshima bomb had these very they're called keloid scars because of the the way that the like um collagen in your body forms the scar it's mm. you know this big rather kind of like bumpy scar that ends up on a person's body and so yes mm -hmm. i was reading that Godzilla's in the design phases Godzilla's skin structure was purposely modeled after these keloid scars mm -hmm. that the Hiroshima survivors had which I, I think is great I mean I think there's a version where you could just have it where he's scaly like a dinosaur I mean there is also when they when I was looking at like the influence of what went into um creating Godzilla what they were modeling it after they also looked at uh, the T-Rex and the Iguanodon like merged together. Specifically, the Iguanodon is more similar to the structure that you see as like the kind of a walking version of Godzilla. And it makes sense when you kind of imagine those two dinosaurs together. Obviously a whale as well. And as we're like talking about uh, gorilla, but I think it's really the skin in a way that's the defining feature of Godzilla because it's, I just can't think of another monster that exists that's like scarred in that way other than maybe like horror creatures like then you're getting into like you know Freddy Krueger territory of, of somebody who's like uh, made of a, of a disaster but that kind of makes sense mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah you're um, right like a, a creature that is kind of the physical embodiment the an allegory for the collective trauma of a community of people yeah and i i i also love like one of his signature attacks are these like beams of atomic <laughs> they're energy he beams shoots, yeah <laughs> at, like he can soak up energy he has no problem with electricity like he's very much he is very overtly um the embodiment of like the fear of atomic weapons like he is the atomic bomb that comes mm -hmm. into town you can also look at it as a bit of a allegory for natural disaster or hurricanes like the way that um you know a a city would react to being like devastated by something in that way um but the part of it too is they're often going around checking like for radioactive um like waste or seeing 
um like scanning people to see if they're doing okay like they they go through the whole that's part of it too it's just um i don't know the aftershock of a bomb it seems like that's the human element that i think makes us relate to it instead of it just being some sort of strange wacky thing um that kind of grounds it yeah like for something that seems on the surface to be so fantastic in the Mm -hmm. true sense of a fantasy character it Mm. really is rooted in some of the darker realities of of japanese history and and culture like the Mm -hmm. this nuclear disaster history legacy Mm -hmm. that that they unfortunately continue to still live with right it's it's this physical embodiment of it Mm -hmm. and i feel like just because it's fresh in my mind the first film as well, I think, does the best job with dealing with a, a very sincere um, acknowledgement of the destruction and death of the people when Godzilla is being attacked. Like, as the films go on, and I guess this is like a modern sensibility, too, of like, we see superhero movies where like an entire city is devastated by and we just never see any of those people actually get killed. Like, you see a building collapse, but we don't empathize with those people because it would be too cruel to do so whereas in the original film like we see like a mother and child as you assume the building is about to collapse like you see a very accurate um version of of basically that destruction and in some of the godzillas uh there's certain godzillas that are just brutal like they present um a reality that's like awful and i think that is divisive for some people because for some people Godzilla is kind of a lighthearted monster fight movie where you're dealing with miniatures and all of this stuff and it's like the excitement of that kind of like b-movie fun but it's actually grounded in something I think quite brutal Mm -hmm. yeah I know like when um when Pacific Rim came out I I I loved that. I love Pacific Rim. I think it's just such a fun movie. And everyone, I know a lot of people have said, well, how can you like that movie? And my whole thing is like, it's giant robots fighting monsters from outer space that are actually from inner space. Like what's not to love about it, right? Because in my mind, a movie like that is just really fun, fluffy popcorn entertainment. But then you actually go into some of these Godzilla movies and they are quite deeply rooted in in yes yeah, social commentary and mm-hmm. it's, it's they actually come from like they they kind of for what is on the, again on the surface is just a silly monster movie it really shines a light on some of the darker parts of humanity and and history and the things that we do and have done to each other um for context the the film is uh shin godzilla is uh, the one that i was describing that is like particularly mm-hmm. brutal in 2016 and um, I mean, you guys can watch it and let me know what you think. I think it really works on the sense that they just leaned into it. Like it is more of a horror film. He is the ugliest he's ever been. Like they, it's it's brutal, but you have to be up for it. But I just think it's it's cool to see that that thread really does come from the original film too, even though our idea of Godzilla has really um, morphed. Um, it's it's amazing how many other films now I associate with Godzilla or how many other monsters I associate with Godzilla as well, even though some of them like made their own way together through their own like spinoffs. Like within the context of the monster verse, 
King Kong is absolutely a member of the Godzilla MonsterVerse now, even though he started on its own. Or even like Mothra, I'm pretty sure has a standalone movie before mm-hmm. we see Godzilla versus Mothra. But I always just assumed that Mothra was a character that existed within the context of Godzilla. And I was watching Godzilla versus Mothra and they've got all these like li- literally tiny people, like like three inch tall uh, people jumping up all over the world being like, give us back our giant egg. That film is very strange. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone had seen Godzilla versus Mothra, but it's like... Uh, it's just kind of like wacky. Yeah, Godzilla has fought so many characters from other franchises in uh-huh. so many crossovers, including uh, several appearances in Marvel comic books. Godzilla yes. has fought the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Uh-huh. Godzilla has fought the Fantastic Four. Godzilla uh-huh. has fought the Avengers. Has he ever won? That's my question. I want to know. I, well, I, I think ultimately, you know, Godzilla keeps coming back. So even if he loses, yeah, he wins. He wins. Point. He comes yeah. back. You know, he's king I, of the monsters. There's a reason why he's been dubbed king of the monsters. He exactly. even when he doesn't win the fight, he always comes back to fight another day, right? Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's interesting. We keep referring to Godzilla as he, yes. but I was reading that um, in a lot of the uh, original Japanese movies they use um because of course you can't make like actual literal translations between japanese and english most of the time but essentially they were using the equivalency of it every time Mm. that they uh referred to godzilla like they always used japanese gender neutral pronouns to refer to godzilla and it wasn't only it wasn't until we got into the english dub versions that godzilla is explicitly described as male yeah and the same i mean for the flip side I think Mothra is always defined as female. like Yes, she. which I find is really interesting. Yeah, and because oftentimes Mothra's motivations are to protect her children. Yes, and uh, as part the of like of, of her island. And right. there's a yeah. bond there for sure. Yeah, it's very, it very, has a very um, like motherly, parental, loving, protective element to that part of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting for so many of these, um, I'll put them in the category of kaijus, uh, giant monsters um, that they have a protective quality that I don't think that's in the original DNA of the first film like I don't think Godzilla exists to protect human beings right he exists maybe to protect the planet or his own kind in the first film that are being like damaged by this atomic uh, weaponry but for King Kong absolutely in many of the films he's he exists to protect like the the people of his island or like the the kind of his island um definitely the case with Mothra so yeah it's just for for monsters that are known for destruction of humankind some of them actually have um quite a nice uh, positive moral center i would say and i think the longer we go on the more that becomes important for the films like that's really evident after basically the first Godzilla in the more modern uh, monster verse that soon you realize like Godzilla is a good guy. Like not everyone agrees on that, but basically the core protagonists are like, we like Godzilla. Let's work alongside Godzilla. Let's like embrace what's going on here and try to work it as best we can versus like that thing's terrifying. Let's kill it. Yeah. Oftentimes. um, Yeah. Godzilla just seems to be more of like the misunderstood 
anti-hero mm-hmm. kind of character in a lot of these movies as well too like the, there are so many of those scenes where it's uh you know that the, uh a, a very dogged researcher or scientist says mm-hmm. ultimately d- finds out you know two-thirds of the way through the movie like no he's just been protecting his eggs this whole time mm-hmm. <laughs> or like that's that's what it's about right is it's you find out that godzilla's seemingly destructive nature is actually based under a very protective instinct. Mm -hmm. Well, I think now that we've gone into some of the like context of, of the original films, maybe we can dig into a little bit of the actual making of the monsters and what went Mm -hmm. into that. Um, So I know for, for Godzilla specifically, they used so many different types of things. And obviously depending on the film, they've done some different approaches in the first film, um, they used both a puppet that was like superimposed on top of other shots. In some, they had a puppet that like spat uh, mist out of its mouth. And there was this really interesting sequence where um, because they uh, wanted it to like melt metal, like look like uh, atomic breath melting metal they made it out of uh, wax and used hot steam so that it had the same effect of melting even though they had the puppet like a lot of their use of miniatures I think is really ingenious in the first film and yeah sometimes you look at it and you're like well I can I can tell that's not you know <laughs> real but it it really is interesting and, and impressive the um ingenuity they used to to pull that off um I think they had another version of the puppet that could be used to actually like bite through metal. Like it had some sort of really strong jaw. I'm not sure if it was like a mechanical, uh, it must've been, I guess, if it was able to to bite through actual metal. Um, and of course they also had uh, people in a suit. Like we're getting into kind of the mm-hmm. same kind of swamp monster territory. There was one suit that they made um, out of like latex and concrete in the original version is so unmovable that they could barely use it for anything other than some shots where Godzilla is very static Mm -hmm. Um, and they had to create a more malleable suit that they could um, get in and out of there was two actors that were inside the suit I I think one of the actors got immediately injured because they were inside this um, very like immovable suit Um, but the the primary actor that was in the suits, which is uh, Har- Haruo Nakajima, um, mm-hmm. was in there for so much that he lost twenty pounds. Twenty pounds. Yeah. and they used and to I... take like scoops of water out of the suit. Like it was, mm-hmm. I think, brutal to be inside the Godzilla suit. Yeah, and I was reading that that particular actor had said that um, part of the issue of of constantly changing what the suit was made out of because um haruo nakajima played godzilla between 1954 to 1972 Mm -hmm. um he was saying that the materials that they used early on in making godzilla things like rubber and latex and plastic and things like that were very difficult to find after world war ii yes they're just really cost prohibitive yes so it was yeah it cost prohibitive really difficult to find they were couldn't source them so they ended up uh changing up what they were making the suits out of simply based off of the necessity of what was available to them mm. yeah and then i was reading that an- another one of the one of the main godzilla actors uh ken pachiro satsuma played godzilla from 1984 to 1995 mm-hmm. 
apparently what they were making the suits out of were even hotter and even heavier because they had at that point they had incorporated animatronics into the suits oh yeah that makes sense so he himself uh suffered from oxygen deprivation near drowning several concussions electric shocks and lacerations to his legs because of the steel wiring reinforcements through in inside the suit yeah, I've heard so can lot. you imagine playing a character for 11 years and continuing to take on the risk of drowning in the suit or like the the brain damage that might have occurred from the oxygen deprivation mm-hmm. that he was experiencing? That's just like, pfft. well, it's funny. I heard a story about um, one of the actors in the original Godzilla and he like walked on set and he's like, hey, guys. Uh, nice to meet you all. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm going to be the lead actor on the film. And apparently like a PA is just like, no, nah, man, like Godzilla <laughs> is the lead actor of this film. And it was like, it was like yeah. a very humbling experience to be like, cool, you're a, you're a human in a Godzilla movie. Like it's called Godzilla. <laughs> and I, I agree with that sentiment. Uh, <laughs> as somebody who watches these movies for the monster. Um, yeah. Apparently electric shocks was a big um, thing in the first a few films as well just because they they're constantly trying to figure out how they can get the closest um shot using all these miniatures and suits and stuff but this is Mm -hmm. before cg so they're really cutting edge and i guess uh, they're also just dangerous like it's right on the on the edge of whether they should even Mm -hmm. be trying to do certain things um I haven't heard any stories about like lawsuits from those actors. So maybe they were, they were game for the effort. It was, you know, it it, it was the fifties through the eighties. I'm sure most of them were just, yeah. Uh, It's really interesting though, that you were saying about their attempts at making the, the monster look as realistic as possible, because I was also reading as well that Harua Nakajima, who played um, Godzilla, what were we saying? He was playing Godzilla in the 50s and through the 70s because yes. he was the one who was saying about how difficult it was to source materials. Mm-hmm. He uh, was actually a black belt in judo. Yes, I was going to say this and, too. Yeah, and so they had him do the choreography for the battle sequences. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that is, you could so easily just have just some guy in a suit just smashing and swiping at things and have it be like oh look at this big lumbering monster but just the thought and the detail that went into having someone who is a an expert in his martial art be the one to do actual intricate choreography for it you know like in my mind i'm like okay yeah you have to do that for action movies now Mm -hmm. but like that they were thinking about those things even back in the 50s yeah i mean there's absolutely something to be said for a lot of actors that end up in these massive hollywood franchises are not um capable fighters you know like they they don't know mm-hmm. what they're doing but if you take someone you know like Jackie Chan and put him in a movie like just let him do what he's capable of doing because you've selected him specifically for his own unique ability to uh choreograph these sequences and i remember seeing a film called like Ung Back and it would just be like there are sequences in this movie that you know are real and it's just extraordinary because it's the limits of the human body. Um, so I think that, I mean, in this case, the limits of the human body is how much can you uh, survive sweating <laughs> in a giant suit while that like these trying to punch men someone in the face. Almost drowned um, on their own sweat. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I, oh, just that idea. That's just so horrifying. Um, but on the flip side, in some of the more modern movies, I think a lot of it comes down to um the way that the 
uh, motion capture department wants to go about doing the monsters. Like I know in um, the Godzilla films more recently, when they were designing uh, Ghidorah, the VFX crew studied wolf packs in the the uh, movements of the heads because Ghidorah, and we'll get into this maybe a bit later, but is the three-headed dragon. And so they had to think about how they wanted the three heads to relate to one another. And they all have slightly different personalities, including uh, the, the dim-witted head uh, that some people call it, uh, Kevin. <laughs> That's, I think, on the right. Um, uh, I think it's, I'll look it up. It's Ishni and Kevin. And there's another name for Kevin, but I'll, I'll find the, the proper name for it. Um, but they they looked at wolves because wolves have an alpha head. So a lot of the the um, the head movements of the other wolves will will follow the pack alpha, which is the middle head. And they used that when trying to figure out how they wanted to animate it, the focus between having three on screen at once. And essentially, they used more of the um, actors' movements and facial expressions for the center head in terms of the consistency and then just use the other ones as references because it makes sense when you're watching a single shot, like you can't place your focus on three heads at once. And so they have to decide how they're going to approach that. And just also how it, like, as we are talking about how it's grounded in reality. So it isn't just spectacle or it isn't just this kind of wild thing. Um, and I think they succeeded quite well with the design of that monster yeah like the the thoughtfulness of it as well too because i was reading about how as the you know as as movies progressed and technology progressed and cg was coming into heavy use and things like that they were still quite like you said they're still trying to ground this very fantastic monster in reality so um the cg visual artists would study Komodo dragons and bears and lizards mm -hmm. so that they would have a better understanding of how to build things like the underlying bone structure and the fat and the muscle tissue mm -hmm. and what kind of thickness and texture would his scales have and things like that as well too. So um, I think that that is part of of just this enduring, the, the uh, why Godzilla is such a, an enduring monster is that from day one, anybody who's been in charge of making him has very lovingly tried to make him as realistic as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think depending on, I mean, there's about 30 films, like you can see the the monster evolve. In the very first film, some of the criticism was that because there's different versions of the suit and different versions of the puppets, if you look at it, I saw some side-by-side -side shots, like they do not look the same. They're the same general concept, but the eyes are very different. The movement is very different. Like the actual structure of um, Godzilla is very different. And I think that over time, they've tried to at least be consistent with the look. Um, but there's some Godzillas that are pretty wild. Like there's Space Godzilla, which I'm just going to shout out now because it's unfortunately not going to be part of my creatures because it's just so random. <laughs> but it has this like giant, almost like, uh, I don't know, giant space shoulders that it uses to like kind of power up, um, which I think is really cool. And, you know, depending on what era of Godzilla you're following it falling into that like spikes on its back will be quite different. There's a phase where they got like really big in the middle. And um, I just think uh, that that design kind of morphs over time too. I really liked the more um, 
modern Godzilla. I didn't love the design of the 2000s Godzilla, um, but maybe some people have a more sentimental attachment to that one than I do. Um, that, the only sentimental, uh, sentimental attachment I have to that Godzilla film is, uh, I'm pretty sure the the theme song was Brain Stew by uh, Green Day. It's just like <laughs> like it's just four chords that just go. They're just it's super 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 repetitive. And I remember listening to the song, and there was the Godzilla version that, as you listen to it, it has the Godzilla screams like lined up with the chorus. Nice. So I, think I probably had that on a burned CD. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's my attachment oh, to those. But yeah. that's not my favorite um, Godzilla design, I would say. Um, and uh, I think it's fascinating as well to think about what goes into the sounds of a lot of these monsters. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that as they are creating the more recent ones, they are probably doing the Star Wars thing of, you know, blending a lot of um, synthesis and animal noises and, you know, what have you. Um, But the original Godzilla scream, which is used a lot, is created using a, like, Uh, I had some just okay so there's some variance here in terms of the storytelling but the premise is basically that it's a glove covered in something that is being like rubbed along the string of a base so there's some version that I found where it's a leather glove or a rubber glove I've seen some stories that say that's pine tar on it and some that's yeah that's what I read was that it was a pine tar resin that was coated on this glove Uh and that he ran yeah, that the glove was was rubbed along the contrabass and then slows down during the playback to make yes. that very distinctive. Which yeah. totally... and I was also reading too, like so there are like a bajillion um, Godzilla comic books, uh-huh. and oftentimes that his screech is written as screonk, uh... <laughs> like S K R E E E E O N K. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I guess it is kind of a screonk. It's, it's... <laughs> It makes sense because one of the things that, like before I knew what it was, I always thought that it had a very metallic sound, mm-hmm. which makes sense in the terms of it being this almost like, yeah, like a radio. Yeah, like rubbing screech. the strings of a bass in a it, way that you're not supposed to. And it has that really like, yeah, like that hollow. And then that kind of distinctive, that that very distinctive tink noise that you get right at the end when you stop touching a piece of metal like that yes yes that's yeah a really good point yeah the cutoff is is uh, metallic as well but it's just like so uh strong um mm-hmm. like i know when they were making the new uh king Ghidorah sound they also tried to find the original sound that was quite high-pitched and just beef it up a ton for the newer uh films because i guess at this point (laughs) like i was listening to the godzilla scream and mothra and godzilla vs mothra and they do it so frequently with such repetition that i was like i will never forget what this sound is again (laughs) ever again but now i think they probably do more variation but we've already associated the monsters with a specific sound so if you were to change it like if i saw a godzilla film and godzilla sounded completely different i'd just be like that's not godzilla well that's not right our brain uses sound as uh such a strong signifier for like authentic authentic life it's the same thing of like when you're shooting a film 
if the sound is bad, it's almost unwatchable. If the visual is bad, you can usually get through it. Like, so if the sound doesn't feel right, it's just going to totally throw it. And now they've attached themselves to these sounds from over 50 years ago. uh, And I think they're, they're just core monster sounds now, even if it doesn't quite make sense. (laughs) Like yesterday I was at, um, the TSO playing a movie live, you know, like they project the oh. movie and then they play it and they were doing the force awakens. Nice. It was really, really cool. Right. Uh, I loved it. I, I highly recommend if anybody has the opportunity to do that kind of thing, it's really, really cool. a lot of fun because it makes the symphony their own character within the movie. But I digress. The reason I'm saying this is that like that first appearance of the tie fighters, mm. that is another pop culture thing that just has such a distinct sound and if anybody who is in charge of star wars ever tried to change what a tie fighter sounds like yes there would be all hell to pay exactly it's this kind of ripping screech like uh yes yeah through space there's something about like going going through a vacuum yeah Um, i thought it was i was also reading this uh this tidbit when i was doing my research that i thought was just kind of interesting is that the the sound editors on the 2014 american Godzilla movie that came out refused to tell anybody what it was that they had used to make their Godzilla roar. Mm. Um, And the only thing that they would let in as part of their, uh, like a hint as to their process was because I guess their, their Godzilla made a rather distinct two syllable roar sound and that the two syllables represented the two, represented the two different emotional reactions the first one expresses fury and the second one conveys godzilla's soul Ooh, cool so again i'm like that is the kind of thing that i just i would never ever consider but those are the kinds of things that a sound designer thinks to themselves what two things do I have to rub together to convey Godzilla's soul? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like but what even, an interesting way to approach your work. But I think that's just like the the value of having a smart composer too. Like mm-hmm. Godzilla does have a theme. There's a like a Godzilla's appearance as essentially in um, the first film, he is first basically picking off um, boats like in people say, um, fishermen are coming back like devastated by having you know their boats destroyed by something in the water and so there's a theme that accompanies that so when they did um godzilla king of monsters they they had his appearance accompanied by that theme and it's one of those things that people who know it are just like thrilled and they might not even subconsciously associate the two things together but again it it, like the part of your brain just fires off like oh this is authentic like that's the Mm -hmm. real Godzilla because you recognize the theme as being so core to who they are um yeah even though you might not associate it with so I think you know, Star Wars is like that too, where there's there's subliminal things that play in the back. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. We were actually having that conversation. My friend and I were having that conversation yesterday is that because we were watching The Force Awakens, of course, it was like the new iteration, like the mm-hmm. new generation of Star Wars. But that movie specifically has so many musical callbacks to the mm-hmm. original uh, trilogy that I don't think I really picked up on it when I first saw it. But then, of course, because the goal or one of the main th- things about going and seeing the symphony do it is that the music is live mm-hmm. and you can experience the music yourself. I really felt like how how many times they did musical callbacks mm-hmm. in Force Awakens from the original trilogy. So yeah, the Godzilla uh, in a similar way where it's like, what are the ways that you can meb or, or like weave his theme into these more modern versions mm-hmm. and keep coming back to 
those first iterations and always going back to that core. And I, and I think that that's what it is, is when you create a musical theme score for a particular character in that way, that is kind of like the musical embodiment of who they are. So mm-hmm. how do we keep weaving that score into more modern iterations of this mm-hmm. character? Uh, speaking of all of this, and just because we don't really have our tangent of the day yet, uh, on the oh, most I don't recent... know. I talked about the TSO a lot. <laughs> I don't know. It was related. And this is also kind they were of kind of like, related, uh, related, but not specifically to Godzilla. In the newest episode of She-Hulk, uh, a, a crowd favorite character. Uh, spoiler alert! If you haven't seen it coming, but it, everyone's been talking about it on the internet for like. I don't know whatever number of weeks daredevil comes back and what they do, they do <laughs> such a good job of exactly what we're describing and they play it for a laugh where she goes like who are you and the old daredevil theme comes in for about four seconds <laughs> and yeah. it just fades in he goes i'm daredevil and it goes back to her and she just goes who she's like, like but, who? It's, but it does simultaneously it's a great example of the whole fan base has such a strong attachment to daredevil and to his interpretation of daredevil that to have the theme for four seconds make you see yep. go, it's the real daredevil and then it's offset by somebody having no idea who he is so it's just you know actually who did a, that an emotional the... attachment i think to these to these themes as well yeah and i'll i'll put my version of the that tangent on there you know who did that so incredibly well is uh again this might be a bit of a spoiler but for anybody who watched the Miss Marvel that came out on Disney yeah. Plus mm-hmm. lately, you find out at the very, very last episode, her friend kind of alludes to that she has a genetic mutation and that's where her powers come from. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. And he, sa- he says that to her yeah. and then there's a quick shot of her reaction face and you just very briefly hear the X-Men theme and it yeah. just goes, and you're like, yeah, yeah. She's like, so, but, and all you have to do is just do that little chord or like, that's just that little intro guitar riff. And we all know exactly what that is and exactly what that means. And mm-hmm. it just fills the world. Um, yeah. So uh, now we've come to what I can only assume is Madrin's favorite part of any creature features. We do our uh, best impressions. Oh, great. Would you like to go first or second? What are you... No, no, you you go first. I, I think I often go first doing these. I think you should go first this well, time. Well, I am taking a different approach, which is why oh. I'm going to attempt to use my guitar to create the sound. And then oh, that's cheating. Well, is it? No, that's... he's going to get a resin-coated glove and run it backwards across the strings. Well, I tried it with the glove and it actually was not helpful. But basically... Did you try like a rubber glove, like a like to wash your dishes with? No, I didn't have one of those. Oh, the you one should I try had that. had a, a giant hole in it, so it wasn't uh, helpful. Oh. Anyway. So, like, basically... Can you hear any of that? No. I think the problem is going to be noise distortion. So if you can't hear anything at all, what I'm going to do is just superimpose this afterwards and then slow it down <laughs> and we'll see if it works. So you go with your own human right, interpretation. Gonna... I'll give you my human interpretation and oh, uh, then okay. we'll take a little break. I think that's fair. Yeah, I'm going to do my best to make the Screonk comic book sound. Ready? <laughs> no, How's you that? were cu- you were cut off for the second half. Oh, no, well. see, it totally cut it out. Totally Here, cut it out. You guys, what... you, you... We're going to take a quick pause for one second. Okay, ready? Here we go. 
Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, good. I, cannot, I can't I do that again. That so much more clarity. Wait, wait, wait. Let me try to turn on my guitar and see if you can hear that sound that I was trying to make of just like on a string because I think this will have more. Sound. I love that we are live in the moment in the podcast figuring out our auto settings because we're well, so excited to make these noises Because we're trying to do something you. very specific. We very much would like to make these noises for you. Yes. No. Oh, there it is. I can hear it now. You know what though in hearing in hearing you do that i can totally hear how the original sound was made by like rubbing something sticky over that and then slowing down the playback mm -hmm. i'm gonna have a fun time editing all of this into something less this will be so much um, fun i can't wait to hear what it actually ends up sounding like when we do the final um <laughs> but i would say that the, I'll, I'll, I'll attempt to do a uh, a human impression even though i had prepared to do a uh, guitar impression no, I don't all like right. it. I don't like it. I don't like it at there, all. I don't think there's enough screonk in there. But yeah, but uh, <laughs> no, I don't have a screonk. I don't. Uh, I can't do that one. All right. Well, let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll figure out how I want to edit this together. All right. Bye. <laughs> Welcome back to Monstrology. By now, you've probably heard whoever it is that I decided to edit that segment together. And we should be moving on with some uh, top oh, moments. Oh, man. Will, that sounds amazing. That sounds exactly like Godzilla. I can't believe you managed to recreate that in your bedroom. Yeah, that's oh. right. I edited it together, and it sounds exactly like this. See? Perfect in every way. <laughs> um, oh, right. Uh, so one thing I, I I didn't talk about in the first half, but I just want to recap uh, before we kind of move on with some of our top moments is just the the differences between the American version of the original film that they did and the original version of the film that they did, because they essentially hired a American actor and kind of played it as like a almost like a detective story. They recut hmm. around so much of the science because essentially they assumed that they needed some sort of like eh, American person and they dubbed the whole thing in English. And it wasn't until um, really maybe I think the 90s that you could even get the original Godzilla in the US and vice versa. So two people for so long had a very different understanding of what Godzilla was. Um, because in America, there was the recut version, which really unfortunately did take out a lot of this. Um, there's this great kind of tragic, um, as I say, it'll sound silly, but like there's a great kind of like tragic love story in the original film that helps thread the theme together of like this dangerous like oxygen bomb and all of this atomic stuff. And I feel like the American version was just like, that's too complicated. We don't understand it. So they like recut around it and they kind of like allude to them. But you have- Oh, what's that? Of... The American version of something dumbed down the original yeah. intent. That never happened. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it was tremendously successful. Like I'm pretty sure in its opening, it made like $2 million, which for a film entirely like, financed in Japan at the time was like a slam dunk hit. So it makes sense that you start getting these offshoots on both sides. Godzilla that's made for an Americanized audience and the original Japanese Godzilla 
Um, I ended up watching the one from the Criterion Collection, which is the original version, if anybody's looking for it, it's on Crave. Um, but I just thought that was really interesting. Like it, it ended up being almost an, not an entirely different movie, but like it, it, they did shoot brand new scenes for it. They gave it a new context and they kind of re-edited what they had. And, and I think they took out some of the um, kind of brutality of it as well. Like, uh, I don't know if they included the same shots of people um, you know, about to die in that in the same way as they want it to just be like a fun uh, blockbuster movie. Which one do, would you say that you liked better? The original, uh, yeah. the Japanese Like the, one. the first Japanese one, yeah. 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 It's, See, it's kind of like, is always better. It's like, you know when they did two versions of Blade Runner and one version of Blade Runner has a whole bunch of narration in it because they're like, people aren't going to understand. They don't want these like long sequences filled with like yeah. cinematic, cinematic shots. It's like, I understand and I don't need this. It's the same thing, I think, the u.s version is just reframing the story when i don't think it needed to be reframed but i think the biggest thing is they wanted to dub it instead of use subtitles and so it makes sense in the way that they're trying to sell it um but i think the original is better um one of my favorite let's get into top moments here is my favorite things that i didn't realize is when i watched the original film it has a, an asher actor uh takashi shimura who is an amazing actor he's like his character actor he's uh long dead so rest in peace but he was in another film that i love uh, called ikuru um which is just like a fantastic um film by kurosawa um and he plays basically a scientist archaeologist who's kind of like the moral center who's disappointed in the government's plans to kill godzilla like once he understands what they're trying to do um and basically there's this like experimental scientist who has something called like an oxygen bomb and there's all this fear of it like restarting more um a war and um Takashi Shimura has this this line basically where he's like the more bombs you use the more likely it's going to like piss off and create future Godzillas like either you created this monster using your atomic weaponry or if they are at the bottom of the ocean maybe stop because they're just going to keep coming out and destroying us and so he has these really nice like dramatic contemplative moments that I think ground the film and it's just because this guy is an incredible performer so shout out to him he appears in some of the follow-up films in the original um Godzilla films um but I was just like this guy's in it I love that guy <laughs> which I just like wasn't <laughs> you know what I mean so I'm watching a film from 1956 I'm assuming that I don't know anyone involved and so it's exciting when you see people that you really enjoy um there's also a moment in uh, on a sillier sense where for whatever reason, I think some of the early ones, they must have just come up with the idea of shots and, and not quite understood the logic of the jump cut. But there's a point where like Godzilla just has like a giant, like a train in its mouth and he's just like <laughs> chewing on it and just, just spits it out of his mouth. And as I watched it, I was like, how how did the like why are you chewing on a train like he, <laughs> he knocks over the train like you can tell that a train runs into him in that old kind of like classic film thing of like a train pile up but what part of him is like let me pick it up chew on it and spit it out like it's he knows it's not food he's not trying to eat human beings it just made no sense uh, well, and, and especially I like I can even it. I can even kind of imagine like picking up the train car and taking a bite out of it just to kind of like really reinforce. So oh, I'm so angry about this train and then spitting it out. Mm -hmm. But the actual chewing on it part, you're right. Like that kind of indicates that he was like 
Maybe he was wondering what it tasted like. Yeah, but like, the oh, what does this weird human invention taste like? But it just seems <laughs> like I think they were constantly brainstorming, like, ah, oh, what can we do with miniatures? Like, I think they spent over yeah. two months just doing all these like crazy sequences, and it really just feels like, well, if there's trains, we should get him uh, a shot of his of his face and then have the train in it. What could he could be doing? Well, let's have him just like chew on a train and spit it out. It just feels like so clearly just like made to be a shot, <laughs> and doesn't make any sense. Um, Love it. So uh, on the flip side of these grounded moments, uh, I liked this just like B movie sequence of like, why is this happening? Um, it kind of um, got to me. I've got uh, more moments, but I'll give you a second match. Do you want to jump in with any of your top uh, Godzilla MonsterVerse uh, movie moments? Uh, yes, actually, I, I would like to uh, give a shout out to the Puff Daddy song, Come <laughs> With Me, yeah. uh, that was on the soundtrack to the 1998 Godzilla that came mm. out. Uh, because I just remember, it. The, this song is such so quintessential Puff Daddy. The music video for it was like 10 minutes long or something like this, right? Of course, he's standing on the roof of buildings and there's wind whipping around him and there are helicopters. And he samples from led zeppelin's cashmere very very heavily okay. in this like basically it's the the chorus to it right so and but he so then uh, it has these huge guitar riffs but also like huge heavy orchestral elements to it and so there are all these shots of all these violinists playing cashmere like furiously like it's their you know like their lives depend on it um and he actually got uh jimmy page to mm. play the guitar parts from his own song like from cashmere but and like re-recorded them for this godzilla song that came out mm -hmm. and then what i did and so i knew that at the time in 1998 when the video came out because um jimmy page is in the music video what i did not know at the time but i found this out in my research is that uh tom morello of rage against the machine fame is also on this track oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> he produced it he produced the track and i was just like Tom Morello, man, you never cease to surprise me. Maybe he just like, I always... Godzilla, you know? And I think that the, maybe that's part of it too, right? Is like, uh, so this movie came out in 98, but Tom Morello would have been like, I think in his 30s at that point. And so that's the kind of thing that like, it, I just, it makes me kind of wonder like, oh, were, was Godzilla kind of one of your influences as a child? And it's one of those pop culture things that you just really want to be a part of, you know? Well, sometimes it just happens <laughs> where it just makes sense. Like when, you know, Daft Punk did the Tron Legacy soundtrack and you're just like, yes. Like I, I remember seeing Tron Legacy and is it a perfect movie? No. Did I love no. every moment of it? Yes. Because I literally just went to see a Daft Punk music video and it was a 90 minute, like well-composed futurist experience. And I love it. And that's what I mean. And like, and I think that it just kind of perfectly embodied that late nineties aesthetic that Puff Daddy encapsulated so well of just like, why do it at a hundred percent when you could give it, uh, get Jimmy Page and Tom Morello involved. Yeah. And then I could give you a song at 150%, you know? Fair. <laughs> Um, well, I'll go through some of my, uh, favorite moments from the more, like the modern Godzilla MonsterVerse, meaning like starting with, uh, the, the newest, uh, films. Um, there is a shot in, um, I always want to say Garrett Edwards, but it's Gareth Edwards, I think. Yes. Plural. Yeah. Um, but there's an amazing shot it's in the trailer, but it's like, it's very effective that they call the halo jump where they're jumping out of the plane and they're falling down into this 
uh, attack with Godzilla on the city. They've got these red flares uh, at their feet. So it's almost like these single lines of red. And it's a beautiful shot of like a, a really um, ashen, cloudy city. And it jumps back and forth between the first person experience of being someone jumping out of a plane into a Godzilla fight and the like cinematography that went into creating this like ex like really great ex exterior like outside view of it and it's so effective like you're watching these people panting from their point of view and just like through the clouds you see like a whip of like Godzilla's a humongous tail or um like the creature he's fighting with and it's just so effective it is the, I think the best part of the movie just because it's like heart beating suspense if you know at any point somebody just like coming down they could all just get swatted out of the sky right <laughs> but they're they're trying to do their best in that moment um and it's it's really exciting like my favorite part of just that film in general is and there was some criticism of this um when it came out is godzilla godzilla is used very sparingly in that film that you don't really see godzilla until about halfway through or even like the last third of the film is kind of the monster fight, but a lot of it is selling, setting up like, oh, this could be a Godzilla. Oh, we're seeing a little bit of it in the water. Like they, he really builds it into like a kind of thriller suspense film, which is not the, the way that the other films go about it because by then like the cat's out of the bag, you've already established it. But th there's so much awe that goes into the, like the creature that we've established that I think works really well for that movie anyway i think it's all distilled in that shot really well so it's one of my absolute favorite uh godzilla move um there's moments period on the flip side there's lots of great um things in godzilla versus kong there's both like a really exciting battle on an aircraft carrier because basically kong is being brought back from the island in godzilla rather than waiting uh, for whatever moment would that would occur Godzilla comes to Kong before they've gone back to land and they fight on top of these aircraft carriers which is awesome just in the middle of the ocean well I think Godzilla would have the home court advantage in that right because if exactly. they're on an aircraft carrier that means they're in the middle of the ocean and as huh. we established earlier when not fighting things on the land Godzilla is an ocean dwelling creature yeah versus King Kong is a giant gorilla yeah they can swim but like it's not like he can s breathe underwater exactly. and he's he's not used to living there. so i think that's very smart of godzilla that's very smart to attack before king kong gets on land because mm -hmm. then you could you, you could get after king kong in the middle of the ocean that's mm -hmm. like godzilla's home turf exactly it's very um, smart yeah so i think that, that film does a really good job of pitting the two of them against each other in a very like high suspense uh sequence at the beginning of the film and then obviously spoiler alert to people who haven't seen it yet but i mean it's been out for a little while by the end basically godzilla and kong are working together and they have the flip side where um godzilla kind of the big thing for kong in in this like godzilla versus kong movie is that he has tools tools are what kind of make him the thing that stands out rather than just being a giant uh, monkey he's a giant monkey with like an ancient axe and basically Godzilla Ooh. powers it up using his atomic breath and then the two of them are able to take out um the uh I think it's Mecha Godzilla by that point um, oh well teamwork makes the dream work yeah and and by and <laughs> by that point Mecha Godzilla is like basically possessed by the spirit of King Ghidorah because we're at the like fifth film of this but right. it's great because there is a thing like when Mecha Godzilla originally exists in the Godzilla films, it's like 
An alien existence has taken the form of a robot Godzilla doppelganger that shall fight you. Whereas the modern ones did the opposite, which is, oh, we uh, we crazy scientists have decided that we are going to try to power a robot with the skull of a dead kaiju. And shocker, they, they lose control to the spirit of the thing in the skull. Um, so I think it actually makes more sense, but... It, they did a good job, I think, subverting it. Anyway, that wasn't my moment. I just love the sequence where they basically team up using their atomic breath power and their ancient axe power to take out the uh, human-alien uh, hybrid power. And yeah, I, I like that you have brought up Mechagodzilla, actually, because one of the, the, the monster's moments that I wanted to talk about is... Um, Actually, it's a it's a, a monster that I did not really know all that much about until we started getting into this. But it's King Caesar. Oh yes, uh, is for, first appears in Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla in uh -huh. 1974. I think it's just just a really cool monster. Like it's got these so two, two thirds of the like the legs so and the furry. torso. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Like the legs and the torso are scaly and look oh, like reptilian but then uh -huh. from the, the chest up is very like a big furry goat with these giant ears yeah um but i the main thing that makes him such a formidable foe and why he has such cool moments as part of the fights is that he has um he's able to absorb energy fired at him which is of mm -hmm. course as we know one of godzilla's prime attacks is his energy atomic energy beam that comes out right so he can absorb those energy beans and then redirect it back through mm. bolts in his eyes so it makes for these really great like whoa wait what did he just do where like he can absorb all of this power and then just uh -huh. all of a sudden laser beams comes out of his eyes and just blows stuff up with his eye beams mm -hmm. yeah he's a bit of a weirdo um and it's a very weird looking creature too that yeah. that film godzilla mecha godzilla there's a sequence at the beginning of the film that uh that i watched which is one of the first ones where you see that there's uh cave paintings like of the ancient creatures fighting and so humans go oh it must be a prophecy that this uh this caesar and this godzilla is gonna fight some sort of giant robot because we've seen it in the caves which of course <laughs> comes in so many of these like big monster franchises it's in i think avp uh when we were talking about mm -hmm. that for the alien franchise i'm pretty sure that it appears in uh kong's skull island they've got the the depictions of kong that are done by uh the natives of the island and then you've also i think got one in the modern monsters when they're discovering anyway you can see that this idea of like well the cave paintings have, have said that there's always there's uh, ancient deities which i think is just cool to establish how old the the kaijus are um yeah there's a just like a fun almost like goofy moment uh in the second uh modern godzilla where all like Godzilla has finally defeated uh, Ghidorah. And so all of the other Kaijus like gather around him and bow because it's like all of the like all hail the king, which is really established where Godzilla is the king of monsters and that's his rightful place. And that's what makes Godzilla versus Kong a, a point of contention because they're trying to basically compete with the, the alpha of planet earth. But that's always Godzilla's job, right? Is to say, hey, guess what everybody? I'm number one. <laughs> like, even if it's, uh, sometimes it's for our benefit, right? That he sees some sort of 
dangerous creature and he's like i'm gonna kill it but even if he wasn't doing it for our benefit it's just he's establishing his dominance over planet earth um and basically godzilla is the lesser equal where he doesn't exist to destroy humanity he just always does though have to be the one in charge um which works out well for human beings um and my favorite uh, not my favorite but my last top moment uh before we go into best kill um is in um godzilla versus mothra <laughs> godzilla is ultimately bested by two larva spitting like silk webs at him until he eventually gets so tied up that he just like drowns at sea and it is such an absurd like anticlimactic ending for godzilla who is typically just like on such a destructive rampage uh streak that you would think he should just be able to immediately crush these like larva offspring from mothra um especially considering how easy it was for him to kill mothra it works for like the actual like story arc but it, it in my mind the like overpowered sequence doesn't make any sense at all but there's all these shots of these i assume they must be like little puppets with the equivalent of like shooting silly string out of their mouths where it just keeps cutting back to these larva shooting silk and then it keeps cutting back to Godzilla, which is clearly someone in a suit that's just been wrapped in like a white fabric. And it just keeps <laughs> getting like slightly silkier over and over. It takes so long. And it's just such a silly moment that I think undercuts the climax. But if that's your vibe, if that's what you're looking for, it works in the overall context of the movie. Um, yeah. Any other uh, moments you want to highlight before we get to our kills here, Madrin? No, I want to talk about greatest kills. All right, you tell you me you, you tell me your uh, your fave kill, and then uh, or I can. Do you want me to go first? I've got uh, one. I, I got one. Is. Okay, go for it. And I hope it's not the same as yours. We'll find out. All right. Uh, I think the kill in Godzilla versus Hedera, because nope. like that's not the same okay. as mine. So carry oh, okay. on. Okay, because because Hedera is like physically can match Godzilla like in the physical strength, uh, and he's got these energy-based bolt attacks um that like so it in that movie he almost takes out godzilla i think it's one of the the few times we really see a monster that uh can really could could actually really take out godzilla mm -hmm. uh, and and it's really just kind of like by chance that that godzilla gets the upper hand and mm -hmm. by the end of the the fight even though Godzilla has won, he has managed to lose an eye and a hand mm. in the battle. So wow. that just shows just how tough this foe was. Mm -hmm. Which I assume he must have regenerated those things by the next uh, sequel, uh, as you don't want to. Well, you know, Godzilla. atomic energy. If when one is powered by atomic energy, really, one can do anything, right? Yes, that's a good point. Um, all right, my top kill is from the 2014 Godzilla um, with uh, Gareth Edwards. Uh, not to be confused with Garrett Edwards, which I can only assume is his evil doppelganger. Um, <laughs> but, oh no, uh, not doppelgangers again. I know, let's not do this. Um, <laughs> there is a sequence in which he's fighting, um, I think they're called Mudos in that monster, these big kind of like almost prehistoric, uh, they're the first kind of monsters that we see, but because it's the first Godzilla, Godzilla has to be the main monster that we see, so it's not as cool as the later ones. Anyway, he's fighting with them, and there's a point where you think Godzilla has been injured, and um, the protagonist that's played by 
Aaron Taylor Johnson is basically cornered by this monster. And then just out of nowhere, like right when it looks like he's about to die, Godzilla bites into its neck, picks it up, opens its mouth and shoots blue atomic like energy down its throat until it like explodes from the inside. And he stands there holding the monster's head because the rest of the body has like not disintegrated, but kind of like fallen apart. And he screams again. And it is the best Godzilla kill ever. Like I remember, I think it's the first time that you see him use his breath as well in the new modern monster movies. So it's always a thing like I remember being in cinemas and people just erupting in applause because it's that moment that everyone's been waiting for. Like, when do we get to see Godzilla's breath? Oh, maybe maybe they're not going to do it in this movie to the reversal of like, it's such a satisfying kill it, just to like hold your <laughs> your enemy's head in your hands too before you disappear back into the sea. It's It's awesome. And because as well, that film is so dark, meaning not like thematically, but like actually the cinematography is quite dark that the color really pops. So like the the red when they're like in the other sequence I was talking about, but like this bright, bright blue that pops amongst like a really dark, um, like cinematic picture, really like it's satisfying too, because you the whole film, you've kind of been waiting for that kind of, I guess, fantasy element that like gives you what you want to. Um, so yeah, for me, slam dunk, favorite kill. Just love it. The way it was put together. Um, I love it when those movie moments are just so satisfying. Yes. Where it's it, just like you want, like you get that physical reaction. I feel like, like, oh yeah. It's again, it's it's that like, the av- I, I, it, it strikes the balance. I think Godzilla fans would love that moment. But I think even if you didn't have any background for Godzilla, that moment would still really pop. Because the context of the whole movie uh, just kind of built up to that. And the, the way that they did the sequence uh, really kind of works. Um, all right, Majin. It's time to hand out our top three Creechy Awards. Woo! Uh, now, unfortunately, uh, Mechagodzilla, uh, uh, who is, uh, well, spoiler alert, uh, my first uh, Creechy Award winner is not here to accept their award. <laughs> um, it's probably for the best uh, that our- uh, I don't think he'd fit in your apartment. No, and I don't think my apartment would appreciate the visit either um but anyway yes we're gonna be going through our top three creatures my uh number three spot is mecha godzilla um who first appears in godzilla versus mecha godzilla um basically mecha godzilla is created as a weapon of destruction by black hole planet three aliens shocker as you would assume that it's just a robot nope it's from aliens um, they're also known as the simians, which is funny because why That's would you monk. Name... That means yeah, monkey. I, I don't know. They really were just kind of going for it, eh? Um, but their plan was to like conquer Earth um, before their own homeworld got destroyed by a black hole. And the cool thing about Mechagodzilla in the context of this film is that he first appears as like a pseudo Godzilla. Like it's got a flesh uh, covering. Uh, outer suit i guess on top of the mecha godzilla and so it looks like godzilla just has some sort of doppelganger but there's a point where it kind of like melts away and you see the mecha godzilla underneath um which is cool um and honestly just 
Mechagodzilla is in my mind one of the best antagonists not my favorite antagonist i'll get to that soon but my the best uh, one of the best antagonists in the um godzilla franchise i think the backstory is really cool the design is cool it pops up so frequently and it's really one of the more fearsome foes because i think when we're dealing with the godzilla franchise and other franchises i would be like oh this one's really cool i really like the design here which, hey, if you've done that, Madrin, fair enough, power to you. But I was <laughs> that's like, where a lot of, that's where my, a lot of I, my no, love No, and that's from. good. But for <clears> me, <throat> I was like, we're doing the Godzilla universe. I'm going with the biggest, strongest, most dangerous uh, fair. monsters. Fair. And so Mechagodzilla takes my number three spot. And I think the reveal works really well. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Who do you got at um, your number three? My number three spot goes to Kumanga. Okay. Uh, yeah, not, I mean, not a, a a foe that you often see in the Godzilla universe. No. Uh, the first appearance is in the 1967 Son of Godzilla. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't go wrong with a giant spider. Uh-huh. It's the, a, gi- a spider the size of Godzilla. It's an incredibly aggressive predator. It's one of the ones that Godzilla goes up against that just kills indiscriminately. Like it doesn't really care who it's attacking as long mm-hmm. as it can attack something. Um, some people think that Kamanga's giant size is just their natural body, but some, and here's the one that I would like to subscribe to. Some people think that it's because of radioactive fallout. Oh yeah. It's gotta be that. I love me a post-apocalyptic radioactive fallouty universe. Everything, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the franchises that I love live in that world. So mm-hmm. you gotta love it for that too. And I just, I think it's just so much fun to have this like thick web spitting atomic breath attack spider mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. it's just so much fun and it's it's satisfying to watch it splat you know you, you yeah. want to see that you want to see that well, stuff like, so, you know out. godzilla can tear off one of eight legs yeah you know and it still keeps going and yeah. then it's spitting webbing at him and it's just it's great it's great uh and the oh. design then the design is really cool like who doesn't love a giant spider yeah well just while we're talking about kills i should have mentioned that also the kill for mecha godzilla although it's not my best kill is <laughs> Godzilla kills it by decapitating it and blowing its body apart. Pretty nice. good stuff. Um, my number two spot is uh, King Ghidorah because it's just, I, I think, the number one Godzilla antagonist. Uh, also has been called Monster Zero or Titanus Ghidorah or simply Ghidorah. It's a giant, again, alien three-headed dragon um, that basically is Godzilla's primary antagonist. In the modern films, uh, he pops up as the villain in two, and then he is the, like, hive mind that powers the villain in three. So in my mind, he's just clearly the best Godzilla villain, and the people who built the franchise were aware of that as well. Um, The word Ghidorah itself is like a direct translation um, of Hydra in Russian. So it literally just means Hydra as well um and Ghidorah is unique in the sense that he's the most like a malevolent and vicious and cruel titan that exists unlike uh some of the other like titans who attack um and, and cause damage just because they're provoked or they're hungry or they're asserting dominance like good Ghidorah likes to kill, like takes pleasure in destroying and killing humans um, or any structures. 
there's versions of Ghidorah where you can see him literally like smiling during the destruction. Like he exists to be true, true evil in this universe. Um, and I just think that has got to power him up as basically being a monster. I'm not saying that it's good that he's evil, but it, it, he needs to exist in that. And the design of him, I think, was really cool in Godzilla, King of Monsters. They went for um, almost like bat-like wings, which to me makes him a little bit more like gothic in the way that he appears. And they do such a good job with color in that film. The second Godzilla film in the most recent franchise is for sure like the wildest uh just give me the monsters fighting version which is great but they they give each um of the monsters kind of like a color scheme too like it's very bright saturated neon colors and for Ghidorah he appears like behind a volcano that he's taking over I remember it being like a very yellow shot where you've got all three heads to the sky and the bat wings and like his first appearance with his they say beefed up version of his voice that I was talking earlier is like so cool. <laughs> Basically, the the creature design really works, and the um, just like the context of the monster, I think is really cool as well. Um, and to create a foe that's as interesting as Godzilla is, I think is a real accomplishment. So that takes my number two spot. Cool. Yeah. My number two, it's kind of an obscure one. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I have not actually seen the films in which it appears, but I absolutely love the creature design of it. So I'm going to, and it, plus it's my podcast. I can do what I want, right? Is it the crustacean? Um, Are you doing the crustacean? No, I am doing Manda. Okay. Yeah, it's it looks so cool. So it's an underwater creature. It's kind of a cross between uh a japanese dragon and a serpent so like mm -hmm. you know the very narrow um dragony body and it's got wings and horns mm -hmm. coming out of its face and things like that too um i think it's just such a really beautiful beautifully designed character and most of its appearances like i said so they go underwater and so in the snake-like version of it, most of its attacks are to coil itself around a submarine and try to uh -huh. crush it or like coil it's itself massive around. Too. I'm looking at that. Yeah. It's 150 meters and weighs 30,000 metric tons. What a Wow. Beast. <laughs> you know, just talking big. I don't know. I, I, I told you this is the way that I'm looking at things today. I don't always do yeah, that. Yeah, and I, I just love that idea of, of you know, we we as much exploring as our scientists have done of our oceans they've really just hit up a, a small percentage of really mm -hmm. what's down there and the deeper they go the scarier <laughs> the monster that they find or like the creatures that they find the the deeper you go into the ocean the just more horrifying the creature is and so i think that that's part of what manda really appeals to is like this really deep underwater sea creature that's just you know as you said just massive in size and musculature and abilities mm -hmm. uh and plus it's really beautiful mm -hmm. cool um yeah i love that idea of just like this kind of underwater sea serpent the dragon. sea serpent with dragon horns it's mm -hmm. amazing 
Uh, I like I appreciate your deep cuts because I was like, I'm gonna be taking <laughs> these like I'm taking some easy swings today, but it's just oh yeah. Me. I mean, I'll be honest. Like when you pitched me the the Godzilla world, I was like, oh, I don't know anything about the Godzilla world, but it's actually been kind of fun to research it from a person where like basically coming in with no prior knowledge. It's just like, look how cool this monster is. And yeah. Look at, like oh, look at the stuff that they made all of the outfits out of. Like it just I uh, I appreciated coming to this particular creature feature topic because um everything was new to me i find this whole thing very exciting yeah i think it's made for a franchise it is the longest running franchise of all time but even the films that um let's just say don't stand up to the other ones quite as well they're all made with such love like the directors mm -hmm. of each film is really trying to give the audience what they want and i think in a genuine way not in a fan service let's make a bunch of money way but like it, it, it can tell that the monster means a lot to these people even like the the first Godzilla film people talk about like Scorsese likes that movie like it, it is people have a reverence for um, and Spielberg will talk yeah. your ear off about how much he loves the Godzilla movies and yeah. how they have influenced Jurassic Park and and those kinds of worlds that he's built exactly yeah, absolutely and I think even the people who are making Godzilla were inspired by um King Kong like I just think that you know sometimes i think genre films get a bad uh reputation as just being kind of like hacky or like thrown together because they were easy i think these films which i also don't believe just putting it out there um but these films are the opposite where i think sometimes somebody's so passionate about the wrong thing that the story gets lost and like the script kind of suffers but people love the monsters in these films so much and they recognize that they are the centerpiece and so the job is to find the human story that helps the monsters shine without creating something that's just complete nonsense you know um but the, i think in this franchise and in many of the ones that we've you know done for our creature features but i think the monsters really shine here which is awesome and now as we get Ooh, to our gold medal creatures creature award winner um i mean how could you not give it to godzilla the og the the original um the the he's powered by atomic uh, like breath he's literally the king of the monsters i feel like i've i've talked about him so much but i love the like the design of the skin um i, I just i think that you see so many different versions of this one. So, I mean, I'm just going to give it to the original Godzilla, the the 1956 Godzilla. And for all of its imperfections, uh, all other Godzillas are just a, a poor imitation of the original um, and absolutely my favorite. Uh, yeah, I mean, all other uh, monsters bow down to him. So I feel like I should too. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why the he's called spot. King of the Monsters. Yeah, exactly. Right. Do you have an alternative number one? I do actually. Oh, bold. <laughs> but I think- Bold, hot take. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think once I give my reasons, you will see where I'm coming from. Okay. Uh, my top spot Creechy Award goes to Mothra. Respect. I love Mothra. Yeah. <laughs> I love Mothra for a lot of reasons. One, I think she is mm -hmm. the only female monster in the Godzilla universe, or at least I like think consistently. There's, there's a couple other ones, but Mothra is the only. But like Mothra big is like the reoccurring, one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the surface of it, there's the first of it. There's just kind of the ridiculousness of this giant moth. Uh -huh. uh, but I think that that actually speaks to the uniqueness of the creature. I can't really think of another 
like American version of Mothra. I can't really think of of other things that, that so so she really stands out on her own as as being a very uniquely designed creature mm. uh i also think it's really cool that she often comes with these twin fairies that speak on her behalf mm-hmm. like it just kind of speaks to the mythology part of it versus more of the like sciencey part of it you know a mm-hmm. lot of the a lot of godzilla's creatures are you know oh they were born out of radioactivity and you know it's very science-based versus mm-hmm. i think mothra comes with a bit more of like fantasy and mythology in mm-hmm. her world um and i also love that in almost all of her depictions she is motivated by as being a guardian of some point like Mm -hmm. there are some versions of her like in the 60s where she was um the guardian of this very teeny tiny primitive island and so she you know she was looking after her hatchlings and things Mm -hmm. like that in those in the 90s uh, she was the guardian of the of um, this previously very advanced civil ancient civilization. In the two thousands, she was um, one of the guardians of Yamato from a thousand years ago. So really, her whole motivation most of the time is protection. So she's really, I think, while sometimes she fights Godzilla, that's in those instances where Godzilla is the antagonist. Really, really, when you see Mothra, it's because she's trying to protect something that she finds precious. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of opportunities. I was going to give it, I mean, I had my clear-cut best go, but I thought about the honorable mention for Mothra because Mothra ends up sacrificing herself so many times for the greater good of the fight. You know, it's, it's often like, oh, Mothra is going to get pushed into this like atomic uh, beam of light and that beam of light is going to power up another kaiju so that that kaiju has the combined power of mothra and itself to defeat the greater evil Um, yeah like there's one there's one where um a mothra egg is being hawked as a tourist attraction and so the priestesses who worship her try to get the egg back Uh and then uh godzilla attacks that's (laughs) godzilla versus mothra yeah, or yeah, one, Mothra, yeah, Mothra versus Godzilla. Yeah. Or yeah. So, but that's what, and so, but like, and and in that one, of course, she like she very willingly sacrifices herself while fighting uh-huh. Godzilla to protect this uh this egg. There's this very sad shot of her too. Like she survives just long enough to make it back to the egg, and she like dies on it. Mm-hmm. Like there's a wing of it, like of her protecting it, but the scientists runs are like, oh, <laughs> like yeah, so you I know, think the good it, people it, are are disappointed. It really speaks to that motherly protective. Uh, nurturing side of humanity as well too and i um i was reading that at one point um there were polls that were taken in the early 90s in japan that said that mothra was incredibly popular among women who at the time were actually the largest demographic of Mm. japan's movie going audiences Mm -hmm. so i think that that was part of the appeal of it right is that it here was a, a monster that was quite formidable, but was attacking out of love and devotion. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be said for uh, Mothra is also quite beautiful. Like mm-hmm. the appearance of when Mothra arrives is usually quite an epic spectacle. And the first thing that you take away from Mothra is not, oh, that's so scary. It's like, wow, that's extraordinary. Whereas when you see Godzilla, you're like, that thing's going to kill something, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um they have a different kind of first impression for sure. Um, yeah, Mothra is a very cool character. I mean, I'll still fight you on my number one. I think uh, <laughs> they, they, they call him King of the Monsters for a reason, but um, 
uh, Mothra's a good pick too. But I think this is why we work so well together, Will, is that we like similar things, but mm-hmm. when it comes right down to like picking uh, you know, a hard and fast true favorite mm-hmm. or like one hill to die on, we often will pick different things. Yes. But we understand where the other one is coming from. And like sure. I can I can respect where your perspective on why mm-hmm. Godzilla Why is. Godzilla should be the best in the Godzilla Why franchise. Godzilla is the best monster in the Godzilla franchise. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, of course that makes sense. Yeah, there's the logic tracks. Um, <laughs> there, um we are now at our uh coffee break. We've given our uh Creechy Awards. Now we're at our Creechy Coffee Break. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, you can go to www.ko-fi.com slash monstrology. You can give us uh, five bucks, any amounts of five bucks that can just go towards really paying uh, some of our expenses for the podcast. Um, we would appreciate that. Um, my pitch, uh, I'm not sure if this happened last week as I was not here. I was trapped underground <laughs> in the city of Toronto. But I would like to uh, hard pitch uh, for the uh, Halloween Monster Mag- uh, tournament bracket <laughs> that I am running right now uh, for the month of October. Um, I'm combining my love of monsters and fantasy sports into a uh, winner-take-all, um, basically daily matchup tournament until we have one monster from this year. Who will emerge as the fan favorite monster? Yes, that's what I want to know. You know, I want to know I've how tried, this all plays out. I've tried very hard not to say. I think on my daily poll, I say who wins, but I don't say who would win in a fight. I don't say nope. who wins in superior design. It's it's funny. I have some people in the comments uh, who have said, what? This monster won? That's outrageous. And I just have to say, like, hey, people like what they like, you know? Yep. So I'm giving you a vague criteria thing, for right? a reason. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, head over to our Instagram or our Facebook pages and you can vote whether there's a daily monster matchup you can choose. And then and then exactly like Will said, he just pits two monsters against one another and you can vote entirely based off of However, why ever it is that you think that that monster, like, do you think that they would win in a fight? Do you think that they are the most beautifully designed monster? Mm-hmm. Do you think that they have the coolest backstory? Like, whatever mm-hmm. it is about this monster that you think makes them the best, you can vote for them. Mm-hmm. And it's we'll great. see. I'm excited to see, uh, you know, in the end, whether we have a, uh, you know, vicious uh, king of monsters, for example, or a lovely fan favorite uh, sweet monster in the yeah. end. Time will tell. Uh, I know it, that and since the power you... is in your hands. I do yes. vote, but I take but one vote uh, per day. I uh, yes, has I not, also has not swayed much of anything at all so far. <laughs> I also vote, and this is what I was going to say: is that since uh, our monster mashup bracket has begun, uh, of course, my husband also votes in the poll every day as well too. And we are often voting for a different monster. We will yes. often be at odds as to like Will will tell you that our votes come in and they are almost never the same one. No, and I think it's it's funny because the monsters, sometimes people have assumed that they have been close and they have not been. Um, by the time that this episode is out, I think we'll be around just the end of our, our first round. We'll be getting into some uh, uh, second round uh, matchup madness, uh, which will be great. Um, but yeah, the longer you uh, follow it, the more invested I think you could become and who takes it all. So uh, we'd love to have you uh, give us your opinion. Our new Instagram page is uh, at MonstrologyPod, and you can follow us at Monstrology on Facebook. You can vote on either platform, and I shall tally them all on a daily basis uh, before I move to the next matchup. 
Um, but that's all for me. I am very excited that we uh, did the uh, Godzilla franchise. I always love me a giant uh, atomic. Uh, I always want to say lizard, but really, I guess we have learned today that he's a gorilla whale. So he is a gorilla uh, whale. Yes. Yeah, and maybe him. and maybe not actually a he. Like if you go yeah. with the original Japanese yeah. uh, etymology, it, yeah. uh, it's an it. We love it. We love it. Well, not it. The movie it. I hate that movie uh, out of fear. But I anyway, mean, we'll do that some other day if we get into the uh, Stephen King of it all. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us for uh, the Godzilla MonsterVerse. And we'll see you for our next episode, which is going to be very special. I'm kind of working that out uh, now. <laughs> um, but uh, as you know, our next episode will be our anniversary episode. It's our anniversary. Happy so anniversary. Well, no, not yet, but happy, we're planning. Happy pretty Happy almost anniversary. And uh, so as, uh, as our listeners know, it does coincide with Halloween, which is the perfect Ooh. time. Don't get excited about that. Uh, but uh, until then, I hope you encounter as many or as few monsters as you like and uh, have a great life. Bye. Bye. Monstrology is homegrown Canadian content. Co-hosted by Will King and Madrid McCabe, edited and produced by Will King, and distributed on the Podbean platform. As a young hatchling podcast, it means a lot to us if you rate, review, and subscribe to Monstrology on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your monsters are found. Mm-hmm.